This is the word to stand on for life with Pastor Ron Arbaugh. The word is sharper than any two-edged sword. And it cuts deep into my heart. The word to stand on for life is a radio ministry of Calvary Chapel in San Antonio. A live call-in show here to help you answer your questions about the Bible and how to apply the Word to your daily life. For more information on Calvary Chapel, visit our website, calvarysa.com. Get your Bible questions ready and call in now to 210-340-9585. It's The Word to Stand On for Life with Pastor Ron Arbaugh. Good Monday afternoon. I am grateful that you tuned into the program. I'm Pastor Ron Arbaugh from Calvary Chapel in San Antonio, Texas. And this is The Word to Stand On for Life, a program dedicated to taking your phone calls and answering your Bible questions, life questions, whatever is on your heart or mind. We'll do the best we can. All you have to do is call us. You can dial 210-340-9585. That's 340-9585. If you're outside the local San Antonio area, you can call toll-free at 877-630-KSLR. That's 630-5757. You can email questions to us by emailing questions at calvaryessay.com, or you can send them in via our free Calvary Chapel of San Antonio mobile app. And remember, if you're driving in your car, the safest way to call is use the free KSLR mobile app. Just hit the call now banner at the top of the screen and you'll be connected directly to our studio producer. If you will excuse me for just a moment, I'm going to send a private message to Paula. I just got good news and answered a prayer today. Uh, David passed his test, Paula. And uh, is going to be going uh, to Fort Hood uh, so um, we can rejoice together. Uh, this is something Paul and I just prayed about this morning. Uh, this is a guy in our church who's uh, in the PA program and just uh, just graduated or is just now graduating. So I wanted you to hear it, Paul. You probably already know, but I wanted to tell you. Okay, let's get to questions. Hope you had a great... <laughs> Oh, I'm so sorry. I almost said, I hope you had a great weekend in church. I hope you had a great weekend watching church. And I hope the Lord spoke to your heart. Uh, One of the things that we've noticed here at Calvary Chapel is that uh, it seems to me like my messages are getting even more intense. Um, I really believe God is doing something in this time. I've already explained to you that I think God is using this time to really shake up and shake out his church. Uh, And we need to be ready. And when we come back, it can't be like it used to be. We had a drive-by this weekend for a little boy's birthday in our church. Little boy, he's 11 years old, I think, was his birthday. And and, uh, uh, we had so many people from the church there. And people are hanging out the windows, laughing and crying and waving at everybody. Uh, and, And church is a good thing. The fellowship is a good thing. But we can't, as much as we miss church, we can't ever take it for granted again. We have to understand that church is on a mission. I'll do my best Blues Brothers. We're on a mission from God. And we really are. So we can't just go back to church and everything be just the way it was. We need to come back with more passion. We need to come back with more intensity. We need to come back with a sense of purpose. You know, Jesus is coming back soon. And we've got to be ready. And we've got to let other people hear about this wonderful gospel of grace that we have to share. So it can't be, oh, we're back. We're glad to be back now. That will happen. But it's because we've got work to do. And we need to understand the urgency of these last days. So maybe that's why the messages seem to be getting a little more intense. Anyway, I hope you had a great weekend. I hope you're not going crazy with this quarantine. Um, We're keeping you all in prayer in a general sense uh, as best we can. 
Well, we'd love your live calls until you call. Let me go to the question. This first one is really a hard one. Uh, it's anonymous. Pastor Ron, what advice would you give to a man whose wife has not been intimate with him for more than five years and who refuses to go to counseling? Um, uh, anonymous, you go to counseling. By that, I mean your pastor. I don't mean secular psychology counseling. You know that. But go to your pastor. Get some people to pray with you. Uh, if your wife won't go to counseling, I'm assuming, now I'm, you're, you're calling into a Christian or writing into a Christian radio program, I'm assuming you're a believer, uh, and, and she probably believes that she is as well. Well, she needs somebody to tell her that what she's doing is sin. Now, there's all kinds of reasons stuff like this happens, but none of them are good enough. The Apostle Paul wrote to the church at Corinth, that your body's not your own, it belongs to your spouse, to the man and to the woman, the same direction. And she needs to understand that her failure to be intimate with you is a sin against God. Now, I'm assuming you love her, that you're considerate, that you're not hurting her, that there isn't a whole bunch more behind the scenes here than, than what you're telling me. But this is not a marriage that pleases the Lord. And so two things. This is a time where you, Anonymous, need to draw closer to Jesus than ever before. This is a time where you're going to act as though you're single. That doesn't mean you're not going to go home, but it just means that you're going to draw so close to the Lord that He is going to satisfy your needs. And I don't mean your sexual needs, obviously. But this is a time where you're waiting for Him to move on your wife. This is a time for you to draw so near to him and increase your intimacy with him so that you can hear his voice. Let him hear your heart. If you have done something to put your wife in this position, then take responsibility for it. Repent of it. And let your wife know that you love her no matter what. But also be honest with her and tell her that she's put you in a very difficult situation. You go to your pastor. You talk to him. And pray for your wife. Let God's Spirit move upon her heart. And you can trust him. You can trust him. So patience, love, kindness... Don't grow bitter. And surround yourself with godly counsel. Pastor, men in the church, whatever it is. One other thing I would suggest, and this is just something you can do for your wife, if at your church you know godly women who she's close to or that she will talk to, then ask them to talk to her. And before you do that, let your wife know that you're going to do it. You don't want somebody just to call her and surprise her. She says, well, I don't want you to talk about private stuff with other people. Just say, well, you know what? We have no choice. It's time for us to get serious about our walk with Jesus. It's time for us to get serious about our marriage. And assuming there are no other details that you've left out, that's the best I can do in a question like this. Here is a question of from Ted. Pastor Ron, I know much of Revelation is prophecy, but I can't see uh, how chapters 2 and 3 are prophecy. This is important to me because it influences our view of the end times. Ted, that's an insightful question. If the whole book is not prophecy, then you're right. It does affect our view of the end times. Chapters 2 and 3, if they're not prophecy, are simply seven real, literal, historical letters to the churches that existed at the time in those places, and nothing more than that. But here's how we know that all of Revelation is prophecy. If you go to chapter 1, it's either verse 18 or 19, where Paul gives you, I'm sorry, where John gives you the outline of the book of prophecy. He talks about Revelation as being a prophecy. Write the words of this prophecy. 
And then he says, write what you have seen, the things that are, and the things that will be. And of course, what he's seen is chapter 1, the revelation of Jesus Christ, one of my favorite chapters in all of Scripture. The things that are the church age. It's verse 19. Thank you, Sam, my producer, made sure for me. Um, the things that are the church age, the real letters to seven historical churches, and the things that will be, which really from chapter 4 on to the end of the book are still to come. Now, Ted, chapters 2 and 3, let me explain this as simply as I can. Those seven letters are written to seven real historical churches. So that's literal, and it's historically true. But it is also placed in an order so that those seven churches, seven the number of perfection, and seven is key throughout the book of Revelation, they represent the completeness of the church age all the way to the very end of time. Um, the letters to the seven churches describe real, literal events that were going on in those churches, problems and things that they were being praised for. But they also describe things that are going on in every church at every time. And I would add, in every individual Christian's life, at every individual Christian's life, at one time we're hot, we're passionate like uh, Philadelphia or Smyrna. Uh, Other times we're like Laodicea or lukewarm. Other times we're like Ephesus. We're going through the motions, but we've lost our love. So those chapters are prophetic of that, but they're also prophetic of church history throughout the church's lifespan from the very beginning until now. And that's why those letters being prophetic have such great value for us. And unless you understand it, that this entire book of Revelation is prophecy, then you would miss that completely. So, uh, Ted, we, we know it's a prophecy because chapter 1 indicates that it is all prophetic by nature. Good question. I like that. I'm actually um, reading the book of Revelation personally right now. Um, that's um, sort of where, where uh, you know, I tell the church all the time that they need to read the book of Revelation two, three times a year, every year. And uh, so I get to Revelation. The other book I tell people to do that is the book of Acts. So I'm reading those books a um, um, couple of times a year at least uh, just because I want the blessing. So I hope that helps. Thank you very, very much. Three four zero ninety five eighty five for your live calls and questions or toll free eight seven seven six three zero KSLR. Here's a question from Jamie. Can God hear the prayers of unbelievers? Jamie, the answer is no, with one exception. The only prayer God can hear from an unbeliever is the prayer that says, Lord, save me a sinner. We talked about prayer in our Bible study uh, yesterday here at Calvary Chapel. And, um, you know, we always hear unbelievers saying, well, I pray, I talk to God, I believe in God. But, but it doesn't matter unless they're born again. God cannot hear their prayers. There's one mediator between man and God, the man Christ Jesus. So absent a relationship with him, we have no access to heaven, Jamie. When we are walking in willful sin, even if you are a believer, when you're walking in willful sin, God can't hear your prayers. You're broken off because of sin. Your fellowship has been broken. Now, you can cure that, First John 1, 9, but... Um, God hears the prayers of those who are walking in the Spirit. I think it was the last verse in my Bible study yesterday where uh, Paul, writing to Timothy, says, I want all men everywhere to lift up holy hands in prayer. And of course, the, the unbeliever's hands, we're speaking figuratively of the condition of their hearts, their hands are unclean, unholy. And God can't hear those prayers. So, well, unbelievers, I mean, I used to pray. I used to get mad at God. I used to challenge God. I'd say things like, well, why did you do this to me? And if you're really real, why aren't things going better for me? 
God couldn't hear those prayers. Now, it's not that God can hear because God's everywhere and he's all-powerful. He knows everything. It's just that we have no relationship with which to approach. I love the passage in the New Testament where we're told that God lives in unapproachable light. And the only way we can approach that unapproachable light is to have the righteousness of Christ dwelling in our hearts. So, Jamie, even though unbelievers all the time say, well, I talk to God, I pray to God, um, the truth is it's a one-way conversation because there is no access. Can I say one other thing here, Jamie? The best thing that God did for any of us by giving us His Son to die for our sins, that through faith we who would believe would become born again. The best thing that we've ever had is have access. And since I was just talking about prayer in my Bible study yesterday, it is an absolute tragedy that we don't use that access, that we don't take advantage of it. You know, we text people, we call people. You know, people don't really... I'm not a texter because I can't see, so um, uh, I don't text. But, you know, I've noticed that everybody carries cell phones, but, but hardly anybody actually answers their phone when it rings. They got it in their pocket or it's somewhere around them, but you, you just want to say, hello, how are you doing? And they don't answer the phone. And so you leave a message, and then they eventually call you back, but they haven't checked their voicemail. Yet we have access to Almighty God every minute of every day. And we don't use it. Now, we get desperate enough, we'll, we'll start talking to God. If we get mad at Him, sure, we'll, we'll talk to Him then. But why is it that we don't hit the ground running in the morning talking to the Lord? I think a lot of us, we just don't understand the value of prayer. And I told the church yesterday... Sadly, I don't think many Christians really, truly believe that prayer is effective. I was talking to somebody today who is a big user of Amazon Plus. Now, I don't know Amazon Plus from Amazon Minus. But this guy said that for $2... From Amazon Plus, two extra bucks. Anything he orders can get here the next day. And he says, who wouldn't use that? Well, I think sometimes we treat God like Amazon Plus. We expect him to get back to us right away. It's like We want it now, we want it our way. God, why are you taking so long? God tests our hearts. And he knows whether we really believe in the effectiveness of prayer. And frankly, if we don't get what we want and we don't get it now, we just don't think about praying. So, Jamie, that's a long way from your question. Can God hear the prayer of unbelievers? But, boy, this has really been in my heart. In these really, really trying times that we're going through. And I'm not talking about the people dying or the scope of of uh, this pa- pandemic at all. I'm talking about being thrown out of our rhythms, being cut off from people, being left alone. Being left alone is not a good thing. We don't do well when we're alone. We don't use our time to honor God. We don't use our time to find out more about God. We pick up our phones. We spend time on Facebook or other social media platforms. And we inundate our brains with worthless, sometimes even harmful stuff. And God the whole time is saying, look, I'm here. I'll talk to you. If you give me the opportunity, I'll talk to you and I'll answer your prayers. And I want to challenge this audience to believe in those prayers. Pray without ceasing. Pray persistently. Don't give up just because you don't get an answer right away. Remember, the purpose of prayer is not to get God to change his mind and do what you want him to do. The purpose of prayer is to change you 
so that we can be in the will of God. So as I said, Jamie, unbelievers' prayers cannot be heard, but sadly, because of lack of faith, too many of the prayers of believers are not able to be heard as well. Here is a question from Adam. He said, Pastor Ron, what do you see the church's role uh, as during this pandemic? Uh, Adam, I think our role doesn't change because of circumstances. I truly don't. Now, obviously, we have a whole bunch of scared people, a bunch of people that are shut in and, and their lives have been upended. But our job is the same as it's always been. Jesus said to let your light so shine before men that they see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. So that's our role. Our role is to trust God. And when we trust the Lord, then we have, um, um, there's always people watching. And we need not to be like the unbelieving world in the middle of this pandemic. We shouldn't panic. We shouldn't lose hope. We shouldn't mope around like we've lost our best friend. We just do what we do. We tell people about Jesus as best you can. For those of you that are addicted to social media, you shouldn't be talking about anything except Jesus. He's coming, and the world is going to be lost if that happens. So our, our role doesn't change because of circumstances, Adam. Our role always remains the same. One of the things I love about the Lord, He's given us a mission. He's been faithful to stick to that mission. And even when we're faithless, He is faithful. So I think, Adam, He's going to give us many, many more opportunities. I can tell you as an example, um, I've talked to more of my neighbors, and I don't mean immediately on the right or the left of my home, but I mean neighbors in the neighborhood as I'm out running and walking and praying. Uh, in these last uh, few weeks um, that I have in the 20 plus years that we've lived at the house. We're busy. We've got a garage on the back. It's a, an alleyway entrance so we don't go out in the front and wave at people when we're leaving. We're just in and out in the back and we're busy and they're busy. But now people are home. People say, hey, Pastor Ron, how are you doing? People that I can't even recognize. And to slow down, take a couple of minutes to talk to them. I had a chance this morning on my run to talk to two people who they recognize me. Again, because I'm visually impaired, I, people have to get really close before I know who it is. And um, so they're coming to me. Hey, Pastor Ron, how are you doing? Until they got really close, I couldn't see who it was. And they couldn't stop, couldn't wait to tell me, we've been praying for you, the prayer requests that we talked about the last time, and then we got to spend another, I don't know, eight, ten minutes talking about the goodness of God, talking about the opportunities that the situation provides for us, just being light. Sometimes it's as simple as looking into somebody's eyes and asking them, how are you doing? You doing okay during this? Do you need anything that we can pray for. And I'm not a super outgoing person. When Paul is with me, you know, that kind of stuff is easy. But on my own, remember, Jesus wants me to be light in the middle of this darkness. Encourage believers. I met a, a man on my uh, run last week uh, named Step. He and his family are believers. They sit out in their garage, the doors open, and they've got the Bible open. And, and we just have a chance to talk about what the Lord is doing. We need to slow down a little bit during this time. And remember that people are the object of God's love. No matter what the point of your life is, people are the point of Jesus' life. And thus they have to be the point of our lives. And I just think that's our role, Adam, to be kind when you get the opportunity to be kind. To go out of your way a little bit. I wish everybody could have seen the smile on that 11-year-old voice face. Troy is his name. When all those people, and I don't, I don't want to exaggerate, but 
I mean, the line of cars was really, 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 really long. And as people drew by, drove by, some of them throwing water balloons at him, others honking their horns. The smile on his face was just a wonderful thing to be a part of. You know, you can't get out of your car, you got to be the rules. But we took a minute to be kind. That's the church's role. But not just during this pandem- pandemic hour. Pandemic is always our role. Hey, we've got 30 minutes left in the program. The phones are quiet. Please call 340-9585 or toll-free 877-630-KSLR. We've got two minutes or 30 minutes left. We'll see you in two minutes. Bye-bye. If you have questions about the Bible, you can send them to Pastor Ron and he'll answer them on the air or reply directly to you. Email your questions to PastorRonKSLR at gmail.com. That's PastorRonKSLR at gmail.com. Back to the Word to Stand On for Life. We're taking your calls at 340-9585 or toll-free 877-630-KSLR. Now, here's Pastor Ron Arbaugh. Welcome back to the program, 340-9585. Here is a question from Kenneth. Uh, what value is there when a pastor goes for a doctorate degree? Um, Kenneth, the value depends entirely on the motive of the person going for the doctor degree. And I'm talking about in terms of ministry. Um, there's nothing wrong with education. It's a wonderful thing. Some of my best friends have PhDs uh, and they're honoring the Lord. Uh, and it was simply a matter of I, I want to further my education. Um, and and, um, and they've done that. Um on the other hand, I have a couple friends who pursued a doctorate degree in MDiv um, because nobody would take them seriously without one. And I would tell them, look, God's the one who called you to be a pastor. God's the one producing fruit in your life. What are you going to do now just because people don't call you reverend or people ask you where you went to school, what degree you've got? Um, you know, so there's good motives and bad motives, but... Um, a pastor certainly doesn't need to go to seminary or Bible college. Certainly they don't need to pursue a doctorate degree. Uh, frankly, I don't know how a pastor has a time for a doctorate degree. Um, I'm so busy. Um, even during a pandemic, I'm so busy that uh, I really wouldn't be able to do justice to the study. And That's not my calling. My calling is to pastor the people that God has blessed me with. And so that's what we do. So, Kenneth, the value depends uh, on your heart, on your motive. And if if you want to do it, you want to honor the Lord with it, God bless you, go for it. Uh, if you don't want to do it, don't do it. It's just that simple. Seek what the Lord's direction is for you on this matter. Uh, ask the Lord for wisdom. He who gives it generously, James says, and he will do that very thing. Let's go to Cindy, breaking the ice on the phones on line one. Cindy, thanks for bailing me out. You're on the air. Hi, Pastor Ron. Yes, yesterday, it was so uplifting, our, your message yesterday, especially oh, thank you. the way things are now, but it, it really was good. Yes. I, um, I don't really have a question, more of an observation about Paul. It has to okay. do with the um, second... First uh, Timothy, second chapter, uh, number uh, verse seven. And for this purpose, I was appointed a herald and an apostle. I am telling the truth. I am not lying, and a teacher of the true faith to the Gentiles. And I'm just thinking about what a transformation he went through. First, he was Saul, and he's going around rounding up Christians and getting them killed. And then his heart changes, and he becomes a Christian. But then, not only that, he winds up witnessing to the Gentiles, because the Gentiles were so 
kind of like don't wait for your dinner invitation type of, you know, group of people, it winds up witnessing to them too and, and loving them. And it, it just kind of blew my mind yesterday about the, uh, about the scripture of, um, and the true faith to the Gentiles. So that's all I was having to say. Thank you, Cindy. God bless you. Cindy knows that the apostle Paul is like my personal hero in the faith. Um, you know, Paul thought that that uh, God should really use him to go to Jews, and 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 God's calling was no, your ministry is Gentile. I've got Peter, I've got James, I've got others who are going to the Jews. I'm sending you to the whole world. And Paul always felt there was a little something missing in his ministry because he wanted his brothers, the Jews, to believe. Just read the first four verses of Romans chapter nine if you if you want to understand how deeply he felt about Jews. These are Jews who are trying to kill him. Jews who are trying to undermine the work that he was called to do. Jews who wanted nothing to do with Gentile inclusion, even in the church in the first century. And yet Paul simply says, I'm telling the truth, I'm not lying. This is what I've been called to do, to go to the Gentiles. Now remember, he's writing to Timothy, who at the time was left in Ephesus to pastor a church that was largely Gentile. There were some Jews who became Christians there, but it was largely Gentile. And so what he's saying is, Timothy, this is the the, the vessel, the, the church that God is going to use to go bring Jew and Gentile, that wonderful mystery he talks about in the book of Ephesians. He says, a mystery that was hidden until now, the mystery of Jew and Gentile becoming one body. That was his mission on life. And in the context of yesterday's Bible study, Cindy, it was simply a matter of, of let's pray with holy hands lifted to God. Let's pray that these things get done. Now, in chapter 2, and we're going to finish it not uh, uh, this coming Sunday, Paul's specific context is establishing order for the church. And so next week we go into the role of women, women's dress first and foremost, and then secondly, um, the, the role of women in the church in terms of leadership. And all of this because order in the church is necessary if the church is going to function. So Paul is just my hero in the faith, and um, I've studied so much his life uh, that it thrills me. Cindy, I'm grateful that you're enjoying it as well. 340-9585 for your live calls. Here is an anonymous question, uh, I think from a pastor. He says, ministry is wearing me down. How can I stay strong while doing work that people often don't appreciate? Um, first of all, anonymous, and, and um, please hear my words carefully. Uh, they may sound a little direct and a little harsh, but... Um, I, I'm, I'm speaking these words with my pastor's heart toward you. Um, ministry is hard. It's hard. Paul wrote that he was spent and being spent. Like, I got nothing left to give, but they're taking all this back. He said that, that despite all of his troubles, he writes to the churches in Corinth, in 2 Corinthians, despite all of my personal troubles, add to all that, and he's writing this in the sense that this is the greatest of all my burdens. He said, I carry with me daily the burdens of all the churches that I've, I've began. In other words, wherever he went, he carried those people's burdens with him. Now, he carried them in prayer. So first and foremost, let me say this. If ministry is wearing you down, then you're not ministering in the Spirit of God and His power. I'm not suggesting you're not ministering for the glory of God. I'm not suggesting at all anonymous that your heart isn't in the right place. But what I'm suggesting is that you're trying to accomplish the work without the power of the Holy Spirit, and that will always wear you down. It'll always wear you down. Your second question is a little more troubling to me. How can you stay strong while doing work that people don't appreciate? You know, you shouldn't expect people to appreciate it. Here's the thing that we need to understand, that Jesus appreciates it. He's the head of the church. 
He's the one who called you and empowered you to do this ministry. And when you do it effectively, when you do it selflessly, He's pleased. And that's all that matters. It doesn't matter if people appreciate what you're doing. I want to say that again. It doesn't matter if people appreciate what you're doing. You keep doing it because Jesus up there saying with a smile on his face, that's my guy. You know, a lot of times, anonymous, we who are pastors, we come to this crisis in our ministries where we wonder what we're doing, why we're doing it, what's our motive for doing it. Sometimes we think about quitting. When we quit, it demonstrates who we were serving all along, why we were doing it. We're doing it for us. We're doing it to have our expectations met. We're doing it so people will tell me how much they love me and appreciate me. That cannot be our motive ever. We do what we do because we can't do anything else. I love the Apostle Paul when he said, I am compelled, I'm obligated to both Greek and Jew to discharge these duties that I'm talking about. To love people who don't love you. i got to tell you, Anonymous, this whole thing with the pandemic has been really difficult for me personally because I get shot at from both sides no matter what I do. If I close the church down, as we all ought to be closed down, except for live stream, keeping within the rules, then there's always that group in the church that says, well, we're copping out. Why aren't we protesting? Why aren't we in church? If we don't satisfy people coming from the other direction, then they criticize me for not insisting people stay away. And by that I mean we've had people in the cars, in their cars for church. They just want to be at the church. Church matters. Church is important. My point in all this is that you can't win. you got people shooting at you from both sides. The only one that matters is Jesus. He's the only one, Anonymous, that matters. And you know, no matter how frustrating it gets sometimes, no matter how tiring it gets, those times when we're at the end of our rope, those are the times when you go out, you take a good long walk with Jesus, and He'll meet you there and renew your strength. Now, lest anybody misunderstand what I just said, I want to be clear. Being a pastor is the second greatest honor of my life. Being Paula's husband is first. But being a pastor is the second greatest honor of my life. I am the richest man on the face of the earth. I feel like He's with me every minute of every day. We, Paul and I, have been able to meet and call family some of the most wonderful people in the world. So while there are some difficult things, it's so much... Because this is what we're called to do. It's so satisfying so enriching and we can't imagine doing anything else so hang in there let Jesus empower you don't look for people to appreciate you instead instead know that he's pleased and that's all that matters hope that helps you let's take a phone call we've got my friend Tanya from San Leandro California on the line Tanya, Tanya, thanks for calling. You're on the air. Hi, Papa. How are you guys doing? We're we're doing really well, thank you. Fantastic. I I listen to your message. Well, I log into you on Sundays, anyways, even prior the, to the pandemic. But uh, I really enjoyed your <laughs> your message on Sunday. It was it was fantastic. And if anybody hasn't heard it, I encourage you to go get it because it was really great. Oh, um, that's sweet. Thank you, Papa. So, Oh, you know, I love you guys. Uh, so, my, you know, my mind sometimes thinks a little too much, and I make things a little <laughs> bit more difficult than they should. But can you help me better understand um, the Holy Spirit in the sense that 
I know prior to Jesus coming, the Holy Spirit would come upon people and then leave. And then Jesus came, and then the apostles received uh, the Holy Spirit. But after, okay, so let's just say I was, 2,000 years ago, I'm in a room by myself without an apostle, and I wanted to receive Jesus. Would that, let's go remember in the Bible, and I'm sure you would know better than I am, or an instance where somebody actually was saved and received Christ without the help of the apostles. Does that make sense? Yeah, I think so. And, and um, you know, Tanya, one of the things, you remember even during Jesus' ministry, uh, before the Holy Spirit entered the world, um, John and James found some people that were proclaiming uh, salvation in Christ, that he was the Messiah. And and they said, Lord, do you want us to go stop them because they're not one of us, they're not part of us? And Jesus said, hey, whoever's not with me is against me, and whoever is, with, whoever is not against me is with me. In other words, leave them alone. The work is always going to be uh, continued. So, yeah, at the beginning of the church, once the initial outpouring of the Holy Spirit fell, um, all of those people empowered by the Holy Spirit had a story to tell and that's when they began to share the gospel of grace. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. So it wasn't just the apostles. Now the apostles spread out to to, to the uttermost parts of the world but the Holy Spirit was at work in the lives of believers. Another great example is uh, Philip the evangelist. He was given obviously the gift of evangelism. That's what he's called. But uh, he was in the middle of a thriving ministry in Samaria, and God just appeared to him and said, go down to Gaza, and, and I've got a job for you. And he left this thriving ministry, go to minister to one man, an Ethiopian eunuch. And um, faith comes by hearing, hearing by the word of God. So as they went out and declared the word of God, people got saved everywhere. And that's still the way it should be. It's not just pastors or evangelists who have the responsibility to share the word. We all do wherever we go. And when we get that, Tanya, that's when... God will give us more and more opportunities. And because you like to talk and because you are bold in sharing, that's the reason that the Lord is able to use you. Yeah, the Holy Spirit is um, is not bound to work uh, then or now just through a certain mechanism. But everybody who is going to say, Lord, what about me and what about today is going to have that opportunity. Does that kind of go where you're asking? Yeah, it, it does. And sometimes I'm just, you know, a little overthinking things. And I know that it's, it, it is that simple. And I know that it is. But I was just curious. As to, I was like, I can't remember, like, someone in the Bible saying, hey, I received the Holy Spirit without the help of everybody else. Um, you know, without the apostles, what I meant to say. But um, I couldn't remember. And I knew that you would know because you know the stuff that is mighty for sure. <laughs> but I'm getting there. <laughs> yeah. Ten, ten, you one thing to remember, the book of Acts is, is where we've got the story of the church unfolding. And the apostles are the central characters, and that's why the story revolves around them. But but remember, the, the word was going out everywhere, and it wasn't just the apostles. It's just the apostles are the primary focus of the story, and that's why it seems as though only the apostles are involved in the Spirit falling upon people and doing things like that. But the Spirit was moving on people all over. You know, uh, Tanya, when uh, the, the, the last revival this country's ever had, um, there's been two moves of God. One of them I'm a little unsure about back at the turn of the century, 1905. Um, but, but the second one was the Jesus Movement. And one of the one of the remarkable things about the Jesus Movement, while Calvary Chapel was sort of the vanguard of that movement in Southern California, um, everywhere people would go, they would find that the Spirit of God had gone before them, and it didn't matter where they were. They'd tell people about Jesus, and people got saved. And these some of these time kids were were, were brand new believers. They weren't pastors yet. Uh, Greg Laurie was a, a pastor at 19 years of age. Um, and didn't even know what a pastor did. But but that's the way the Spirit was moving. You know, um, during a time of, of revival, 
Um, the Spirit works in different ways. He was moving through musicians. You, know, you get all these old hippies who were half brain dead because of drugs, but, but they were musicians. They got saved, and the next day they're writing new songs. And as they're playing these new songs, uh, people are falling out getting saved. So the Spirit works in marvelous ways. And I'm praying, and I know you're praying along with me, Tanya, that this is is what God is going to do before Jesus returns. We're praying for one more huge move of God's Spirit uh, in this country, and, and I'm, I'm hopeful that's going to happen. God bless you, sweetheart. Thank you very, very much for your kind words about yesterday's message. We love you. Three four zero, uh huh. Three four zero ninety five eighty five for your live calls and or questions. Here is a question from Abby. She wants to know: Do aborted children go to heaven? Abby, the answer is yes. Life begins in the womb. Those are are um, babies who are created um, through the process that God has for us to repopulate, to multiply. Uh, and there are 65 or so million babies since 1973 that have been aborted, murdered in this country. And every one of those babies goes instantly into the presence of the Lord. Now, I personally, and I don't have any proof of this, but I personally don't think they, they go to heaven in the presence of the Lord and they're babies. It's not like we're going to be burping them for eternity. Uh, I think in eternity, whatever the perfect state is, that's what they're going to be. And I think there's going to be some marvelous reunions in heaven between uh, parents who had children aborted, uh, who later come to faith in Jesus Christ, and those children. I think it's going to be one of the glorious things about heaven. Now, the biblical precedence for this, of course, is David. Um, David, when the son that he had with Bathsheba as a result of his sin uh, died, um, um, you know, he was mourning and fasting and uh, all the attendants in his court um, walking on eggshells. And finally, when word came that the, the boy died, David got up, he washed himself and he began to eat. And they were surprised. Well, well before you were inconsolable. Now you hear that he's dead and you're carrying on. And he said, well, it's right that I do that. He cannot come to me, but I will go to him, he said. So, no aborted child is held accountable for what sins they would have committed. It's not just the children of Christians who are saved. It's all children and since they didn't have a choice to pick of their own free will, they will instantly, Abby, be in the presence of the Lord. So I hope that answers your question. No, the other side. 340-9585. Here is a question from our email inbox from Scott. Uh, the very sad statistics, these very sad statistics came out today. Americans are turning to anti-anxiety and antidepressant medications as a coronavirus, coronavirus pandemic. Specifically, anti-anxiety prescriptions rose by 34.1%. Antidepressant prescriptions jumped by 18.6%. And anti-insomnia prescription drugs saw a 14.8% increase. The report notes that Americans are becoming increasingly anxious as the pandemic continues and underscore the impact of the coronavirus is having on mental health. Pastor Ron, can you comment on how important it is for us to tell others about Jesus? Scott, God bless you uh, for saying that there's nothing. We have the answers. You know, antidepressant medications, any anxiety medications, uh, anti-insomnia medications, they have no value. People artificially trying to numb themselves, and doctors are all too willing to, to, to compromise. Now, I said, Scott, as you know, a couple of times uh, since this started, and I said it again at the top of the program today, this is God shaking out his church, not judging the world. This is God shaking out his church. And so we've got to do exactly what you suggested. People are without hope. 
And I promise you this, God, and everybody else who's unwilling to go share Jesus, if you step out by faith in obedience, the Holy Spirit will have gone before you, and you're going to be used by God to lead other people to you. It's true you might get rejected by some people. But our job, remember, the parable of the sower is simply to plant seeds, to scatter the word of God everywhere we go. And people are, I said earlier, we don't do very well when we're inactive. And the people that are looking for medication to help them aren't going to find any help. And you and I, believers, we have the answers, the only answers. And if we're not motivated by that to tell people about Jesus, then I don't know what else to do. Where, where you know, Paul talks about not quenching the Holy Spirit. When we're not telling people about Jesus, especially at a time like this, well, then we need to be shaken up and shaken out. Look what your friends, your family members, your co-workers, your neighbors are doing. They're medicating. You know, the more time we spend with ourselves, the more miserable we get. Well, we have, as Scott suggested, the opportunity to invoke Jesus. We're in the middle of all of this depression and all of this anxiety and, and people's inability to sleep. All we have to do is tell them about Jesus. Thank you, Scott. God bless. Hey, tonight, just a heads up, we're going to have Pastor Ken starting... Uh, his Monday night men's Bible study online at calvaryessay.com at 7 o'clock. Um, he's in the book of Acts. You will be blessed. And that's something to do. May the Lord bless you and keep you, Lord willing. I'll be back tomorrow at 4 o'clock on AM 630 The Word. We'll see you then. Thanks for spending this time with Calvary Chapels, The Word to Stand On for Life with Pastor Ron Arbaugh. The Word to Stand On for Life is on every weekday afternoon at 4, and Pastor Ron invites you to find out more about Calvary Chapel at calvarysa.com. The Word to Stand On for Life was sponsored by Calvary Chapel of San Antonio. I need the word to stand on.